0: mindfulness mode
1: i was probably better at math than like 99 percent of the population that one percent that i wasn't better than they were all my peers
0: hey mindful tribe thanks for joining today i think you're going to like this episode it's a little different very insightful very interesting so uh, oh hey and we're still celebrating five years of podcasting and here's my friend michael neely for with a, a little word of congrats Michael Neely here from Consciously Speaking, Buy This, Not That, Something to Whine About, and The PodQuest Show. And as a fellow podcaster, I just want to give a very special congratulatory shout out to my pal, Bruce Langford. I am excited that you have reached such a pinnacle here with five years of podcasting, and I am honored to have been a guest for you back in 2018. I wish you all the best and keeping up the great work that you're doing in the world and supporting people with such an amazing show. Best wishes for another five years of huge success for the Mindfulness Mode Podcast. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode with boxer Ed Lattimore. I'm here with a former professional heavyweight boxer You will know his name. He's also a competitive chess player. He's a physicist. He's a veteran of the US Army National Guard and he's a best-selling author. So man, that's a lot of of amazing feats that this guy has accomplished. And uh, he's written some great books and you can check out his blog. I'm here with Ed Lattimore. Hey, Ed, are you in mindfulness mode today?
1: I'm always in mindfulness mode. It's the only way to be.
0: (laughs) It is the only way to be. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I'm very impressed with so many of the things that you've done, different uh, work that you've written, and your work as a chess player. I mean, that's really fun, isn't it? But uh, so what does mindfulness mean to you, Ed?
1: It means that you are present in the moment, that you're focusing on one thing and one thing only, and that's the thing right in front of you. The past is gone. And the future is yet to arrive and the only, and, and it's going to arrive anyway. And the best way you can make sure it arrives in kind of the way you would like it to, at least in a way that is more to your advantage than your disadvantage is to be mindful in the, in the present and make each action deliberately and with intent.
0: Well, I certainly agree with that, Ed. And one of the things I think when I think of a heavyweight boxer and when I think of you, is confidence. And I know you know a lot about confidence, and you even wrote a book called The Four Confidences. So what is confidence? How do you define it?
1: Uh, confidence is really the ability to act as if what you want is going to occur regardless of the outside conditions that may in fact <laughs> be to the contrary. It's, it's the ability to move in uncertainty as if you are certain. And many people don't have that. They need a guarantee. And the problem with guarantees is, is a guarantee is kind of a over-optimization. If we look at action and along a, a curve, you can act with like very little information, like 0 to 10% certainty. Or you can act with all of the information, like 90 to 100% certainty. And the, that when you hear that at first, it seems like the latter is an unfavorable and the former or the former is unfavorable and the latter is the one that you want to aim for. But, but really, no, neither of those work because if something if the, the best opportunities in life come from uh, moving when everyone else is kind of not sure when to move. And once that certainty is there, then the market becomes saturated and then there is no value because people know it's a sure thing. All right think of it like the whole bitcoin craze when people with weren't sure what the heck what bitcoin was you could get it for like nothing now that people are like oh this is valuable oh good good luck you know yeah. <laughs> get, getting it getting a whole coin without you know breaking a serious party's salary and and i think the best things in life really are like that we have we kind of have to take take a gamble um i look at like dating that way at least at least um uh, for for women, a lot of times, like you look at a guy, and it's like, does this person have potential? Because if you wait till the potential is realized, you're going to be competing against a larger pool, and then they're going to trust you a lot less. But if you look and you go, okay, they seem, you know, they're not a total loser. They're not like in prison or something, uh, but they aren't really fully realized. They're about thirty to forty percent or uh, realize 30, 40 30, percent short are going to turn to something and you jump on that and you can act uh, and, and, you, and you do it confidently, not like waiting for things to go wrong. Yeah, you'll be rewarded. And, and that's that's really the value of confidence that allows you to take advantage of of those moments when people are just kind of sitting on the sideline going, uh, I don't know. And you can go, I know I'll act boldly. I'll seize the day.
0: Well, speaking of relationships, I know that you've mentioned in some of your books about your partner Anna, and how she's such a great supporter, and she she helps you with your writing, and she does proofreading, and and she just really supports you. And uh, so, what was the process like when you when you found her? Was was there ever a struggle that you went through trying to find a person to be a great partner? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, man, if anything, I, I I think I think she is a wonderful example of someone looking at a very rough product, unfinished, perhaps not certain if they'll even, you know, make it to the end of the race, let alone finish well. And going, you know what? No, I think I think that's a i think that's the horse I'm going to bet on. And and so there was no struggle. If anything, the struggle was was internal because I'm dealing with a, a person and I'm on, and in my mind I'm like okay I'm still working on things and dealing with things and perhaps I don't think I'll bring that much to the table yet but uh, I knew I would eventually and and one of the things I always say about dealing with her is that is that I got so used to dealing with uh, low quality or low caliber that I thought there was something wrong with her when I met her. Uh, but but you know as, as time goes and you just you learn and you see it's like no no it's really like now I'm extraordinarily happy in my life and have been up for quite some time and a lot of what I'm able to do is because uh, she she lends her her support and help whenever she can.
0: Oh, that's that's awesome! I didn't realize until I started reading more about you that you're a physicist. So yeah,
1: I, <laughs> tell me about that.
0: That's a part yeah, I didn't so, know.
1: So I went to, um, when I when I decided to go back to school. I actually was gonna go and study uh, math, and I was gonna do that because I was terrified of lab science, and I thought I would have to work while I was going to school. And I knew that I knew that with my experience before failing school many many times prior to, I knew that I would. That You you couldn't do lab science if you had to miss, and I was expecting having to miss, but then I enlisted in the military, and I got exposed to uh, some principles in electrical engineering, and I said, okay, this is what I want to study, so I I go to school and enroll, start taking the the prerequisites to get into an engineering program, one of the prerequisites is physics one and two, I took physics one and and there was an experiment we did with projectile motion and i watched the projectile land where i thought i was going to land like it wasn't just uh, an academic exercise it was seeing how my calculations were useful in the real world and how you know i was like oh that's really crazy cool this is actually what i want to study so i found a school uh, first of all i mean i, I really busted my ass and then and, and um uh, community college because I, I went back to school late after having made many mistakes prior to it. And I really put a lot of heart into it. And I, I got, got, I only got one B, got all A's, I got one B in chemistry too. And I got a, a scholarship to this, this university here. And they had a program where you could get a double major. You can major, you could get your, a, a bachelor's of science degree in engineering and a bachelor of arts and physics. And I got into that cause I was going to do both. And then, uh, I was mostly through, I think the third of the fifth year, and I started to have real success with my writing online and making money online. And I said, "Wow, uh, I might have a have a shot at this." Like, and let me go do this. So, so I discarded the engineering part of my degree, which saved me about three semesters left, and just finished out on my physics degree. So now I'm uh, I have a bachelor in physics from. Uh, duquesne University. I just looked up, I keep it on the wall above me where I work. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Well, my son is uh, a physics student, and he just loves it as well.
1: It's yeah. It, it really um, it really changed how I thought about everything, and and well, which makes sense because you're studying everything. But but what it does is you come to see that there are guiding principles behind everything. Now, whether you know them or not, or you can calculate them. Uh, is mostly irrelevant what is relevant is that everything around you behaves according to some type of design or plan and we can predict it eventually and when you start looking at everything in that way then you then you realize that even human behavior is not exempt from this it may be um it may not make sense to you in terms of like why a person does a thing, but there is a sensible answer. I like to say people are predictably irrational. For, and when you when you understand that, then you can look at everything around you. It's like, okay, there's a way to make this work because I know it worked this way. Let me try and figure this out. Let me make more deliberate, mindful steps, mostly because I know that I'm operating within principles. It's not random. It's not me, you know, just reaching out in the dark. I can do things that make my success more likely. And, you know, that's that's one of the cool things. It's just it's just about physics, aside from the physics, right? Yeah. Because but, but, there's like the hard technical stuff you learn that's really interesting and really fascinating. And you can go do almost anything in the world after that. But then there's also the mental models that you get for looking at other problems not related to science.
0: Yeah, do you think the physics helped you change your mindset so you could become more successful and feel better about yourself?
1: Oh, I, absolutely. Um, well, not just that. So, so one of the, the stories I write about and I, I tell a lot is that I was a terrible math student in high school. I like, felt it. Uh, I had no confidence whatsoever in the math. And, and I was like, all right, anything related to quantitative reasoning... That was not going to be my future. Yet here we are with a physics degree. And how did that happen? Uh, how did I get the confidence to do that? Well, part of it which led up to that, even before the physics, uh, boxing. Boxing, really uh, watching myself change in boxing. I said, okay, I did that. I'm going to figure this physics thing out. And then each, I mean, like we're talking like little, little steps, stepping in, nothing big. Yeah. And, and a lot of it was a struggle. But each time I just got a little more confident. Uh, in myself and my ability to figure out difficult things. It's where I, I came to the conclusion that uh, the one of the most powerful beliefs you can have is that if given enough time you can learn anything and that's pretty much how I looked at how I got through physics is that I would sit there and I would say okay I know that with enough repetition of time I'm going to figure this out and and not only that, and I'm, I'm not gonna lie, like I couldn't have done that degree uh, probably ten years ago. There were a lot of people who had put up videos and walkthroughs and explanations on the internet. I was, it was just easier to find information and learn that way. But what it does is it let it, it lets you see that if you want it, and I, I really wanted. It. I mean, at this point, I was I was there. I did it. Uh, I really wanted it, and I, I just kept kept putting myself to the ground to learn. and learn and i knew my weakness i knew i knew i worked really hard to become strong grad math i was probably better at math than like 99 percent of the population that one percent that i wasn't better than they were all my peers yeah uh, all my students <laughs> the, the, the basically um the, the kind of people that, that either you know kind of waddle through physics are like uh, i want to step away and go do like computer programming or something like that so uh Doing something that hard uh, (laughs) really helped me uh, just develop even even a a a greater shorty in myself.
0: And I want to go back to when you were a kid, and I want to want to know if there was any indication that you were going to grow up to be a champion boxer.
1: No, none at all, man, dude. I am look. People don't understand something. This is so. I didn't start fighting. Uh, until I was 22 to begin with, uh-huh. right? Okay. Uh, and and that you know th- that's that's old ish well, or no, whatever. That's old. Let's let, <laughs> <laughs> that, that's old. sorry. the um, But but prior to, I mean, I had like thought it was interesting, but I wasn't a kid that fought if I didn't have to. I mean, I fought a lot until I got to high school, but that was mainly a function of the environment that I grew up in. And, but but it wasn't a thing I sought out. Uh, I really I mean I hated. Get hit and I, I didn't want to hit people i mean at the same time at the same time and this is one of just one of those personality traits i absolutely abhor feel like someone making me feel like i'm, I'm weak or incapable which is a lot of what you know kinds of goes on in bullying so yeah i made sure i was a very difficult um difficult target for bullying and but 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 other than that, I mean, like once I got away from a, a bullying environment, I didn't. I didn't. I don't think I was in a physical confrontation from like the age of thirteen to twenty two when I started fighting again. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, the, the but but uh, the there was no indication that, that I would I would take it on. I mean, I was always uh, nice. I really learned the power of diplomacy, and if you if you can if your friends are are worth more than enemies, generally speaking, and the more of those you can have without kind of ingratiating yourself or, or being self-deprecating, you, you can do quite a bit of, you, you can be safer, because life is easier that way. I, I never thought I would fight uh, at all. And then one day um, I, I had this idea and it didn't go away and so i walked into a boxing gym and and then i just that just said i am either going to get beat out of this like, like or, or someone's gonna come tell me dude you know what you're really going you're risking your life you're just not that good stop this um and neither of those things happened so i just kept getting a little better a little better a little better and had had a really good really good career especially a really good amateur career i thought i think you know it's, it's better than the most fighters who were ever amateur and, and, uh, my professional career was, was all right too.
0: Yeah. Well, Ed, one of the books you wrote and published in 2018, sober letters to my drunken self. How long did you struggle with problems with alcohol?
1: Uh, you, you know, it, and no one thinks they're struggling until yeah, <laughs> until yeah. they admit that they're struggling. Yeah. And then at that point, it's like, you know, but but it's funny. I remember probably I stopped drinking in 2013, uh, probably two years prior to that. I had a realization. I was like, you know what? There might be something going on. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and everyone comes to that realization in a different way uh, for me. I realized that uh, my behavior under the influence was just not acceptable. Uh, I was not as well liked at all as I thought I was, and and but but when you when you have a problem, you try to justify it. I remember justifying it, thinking, oh, "I wouldn't like these people if I was sober anyway." Right? Mm-hmm. Is what I what I said myself, and or, or I accused them of being hypocrites because they were drinking with me things like that. But as as you get older and you and you and I don't even think it's a function of age because everyone does it differently. But I guess is as you what happened to me is I had to look in the mirror and I had to be real. I had to go, okay, you have control over this or or at least it's a choice is a better way to put it. And and you're making a choice to engage in an activity that at one point I jokingly said that like Ninety five percent of my problems in life happened either under the influence of alcohol or they were exacerbated by my intoxicated mindset. Like I was aware of the like the damage and mm-hmm. I didn't want the damage and I started to build myself into someone who who could be more. And so I said, Okay, I gotta I have to accept though that there's an issue here. And, and do something about it. Not just think about it, not just talk about it, but do something about it. Because, because it's worthless, you know. Um, I stopped drinking when I was 28, I think. twenty Yeah, 28. I was 28. And, and I remember, though, when I was really, you know, putting out the pros and cons list, going like, you know, one day I'm going to turn 33. And if I keep this up, uh, am I going to be, am I going to have more options or fewer options in my life? And... And I could not see any way beyond luck that I was going to have more because I because I had, you know, been out running the law of large numbers already. And I, I had gotten very lucky, but uh, just, uh, you know, luck. I think, I think there's a lot of us walking around like that who, if the coin landed on heads instead of tails, we're looking at at least serious prison time. Uh, but instead, you know cop doesn't pull you over or he doesn't think there's something wrong. So we're very fortunate in that regard. I said, you know what, I won't continue to get lucky. I recognized that and then I didn't want to have to get lucky anymore. I wanted some control in my life.
0: Well, that book that you wrote, it's called Sobered Letters to My Drunken Self. I really liked one of the things that you said in there. You said the same thing that drives your alcoholic destruction – can drive sober accomplishments. So tell, oh, me, about yeah. <laughs> tell
1: me about that. Yeah, tell me about that's pretty hey, cool. Hey, really, anyone who's ever ever seen an ex addict in the gym, man, we, you know, it, it's really I I don't know if this is a feature or a bug of human nature. Some of us fixate. That's what my girlfriend calls it. She says I fixate. Oh, um, or, or become obsessive, and it just depends on what you direct that energy towards those are easy low-hanging fruit alcohol drugs food sex those are low-hanging fruits yeah. when you take that same energy and you put it towards for example market writing boxing school it's really amazing uh, what can happen but i realized that like and I don't remember when I realized it exactly. Uh, probably right around the time when when I I think I went out one time uh, while I was sober and, and I got bored. So I just went home and I knew before I would have just stayed and drunk and tried to make things cool or waste more time. But once I had a thing to do, some things to care about, that all that energy that was, was spent on just – Obsessively drinking and and the cinema was put on that, and I think I think you see a lot of people, uh, at least I have, who were hooked on this, and because because now they got to be hooked on something else. Habits don't just like you can't just remove an activity. You got to fill that hole with something. Yeah, and if you fill that, if you're that hole with something good, it, it's your life. It, it, instead of just getting back to normal, you start. Like your your foot's on a pedal towards greatness, towards being something cool that you had no chance of being before because you were like you weren't just your foot wasn't just on the brake, you weren't reverse. When you were like really hooked on on the destructive activity, but when you start and then, and then there's the negative externalities that come with that, but then when you start doing good things, positive things start happening that aren't even directly related, and it's good for you.
0: I know you spend a lot of time writing. When did you first figure out that you liked writing and that that was something that kind of fueled you?
1: Oh, man, I've always loved writing. I, when I was a kid, my favorite video games were the Final Fantasy series, all the RPGs, because they were, they were text-based. You would read the text and follow the story. I mean, there was occasionally some gameplay. For the most part, you would follow a story. And I said, I like that they're able to engage me with just words and I read a lot of books when I was a kid and continued to read it. and and I said I want that that seems like a cool superpower let me put some words out and people will continue to read it and then the internet came along talk about game changer right yeah. i mean they they say the, they say the that like the whole um, gatekeeper list social media internet realm for like writers and creators is akin in terms of the changes that, it, that it, it, it's allowed to happen that it's akin to the gutenberg press back in the 1700s that allowed everyone to have access to books and you know i think that's a Oh, Paul, i don't think that's an exaggeration or anything that's an understatement because a person like me is able to sit and write and not just write but build an audience if i want to now there's skills to go behind that so you know because I'm competing with other we're not really in competition but but attention is finite and i have to get more of it than the other guy so i can sit and compete and write and create and, and write the things i want to write. And, and not be beholden to some type of standard that a company has for me as a publisher or, or an editor or something like that. And I can have a lot, a lot of fun. And everyone has that capability. And, but, but for me in particular, this writing thing has always been something I wanted to do. And I'm so fortunate that I was born in an era where I could do it from right here on from my computer or on my phone, really.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is great. You have a superpower. And you even put that superpower into the title of your most recent book. The book is called Not Caring What Other People Think is a Superpower. And I think that's incredibly true. And a lot of people don't realize it. So when did you discover this? And when did this kind of become a revelation for you, Ed?
1: Uh, mostly when I was getting sober, you know, because I realized – so so remember, a lot of these these problems that I talk about, they're multifaceted, multivariate problems. Yeah. They're not just, oh, I was obsessive. Or, oh, I was lonely. Right? No, they all come together. And one of the big things for me is I want it. Social acceptance. I, I, I've always felt kind of like an outcast, and I, sp- I think I spent a lot of my 20s trying to be liked mm-hmm. instead of being respected. And the subtle but key difference here is that being liked will, will lead you to do things that don't necessarily make you respected in fact they will a lot of times you'll do things to erode your self-respect if you're not fortunate enough to get around some really some really upstanding individuals uh, you're just gonna you're gonna do what is going to appeal to the most amount of people and that's almost never a good thing when i got sober i had to realize i had to face that fact and i had to also understand that this was a an unpopular decision i mean now now it's condo i don't want to say like the cool thing but there's a lot more support now from like non-alcoholic beverages to now there's this whole concept of like dry happy hours and all that It really, you know, and from a health standpoint, so so that's a really good thing. But I don't think there was this kind of support. Uh, there's certain, in fact, there wasn't this kind of support uh, when I did it. And I, I knew I was going to have to not worry about how I was going to be perceived. I knew I was going to have to develop my own frame of reference for what was acceptable and, and, and approval, and most importantly, and I, I didn't know I was going to be chasing respect But the difference between being liked and respected, I started on earlier, is that when you behave in a respectable fashion, uh, you may not necessarily be liked in the sense of let's always have that guy around, but what you'll be is admired, even by people who don't like you, And, and they will recognize those traits in you that they wish they had. Or that their friends had, or whatever, and that is way more powerful than being just liked. Being liked is like, it's like grade D beef, man. Like, like, like you can eat it. I mean, but, but like you you shouldn't. Um, and then there's respect and being and being admired. That's like filet mignon. That's the real good stuff. Uh, and, and if you can get that and live on that, you, you're just going to have a better life. You're going to make better decisions. And then it's going to continue to compound because now at this point, I, I do not do a single thing based on how anyone is going to perceive it, except myself and how I'll feel about it. And so if if this will make me feel a certain way, if I feel like this, this adheres to my values, if this lines up with what I feel is important then I then I do it. And and that's safe now because I have something to lose because I'm, I'm respectful, because I'm not chasing because before when it was important to be liked, that that was my value and I do that thing and all of a sudden next thing I know I'm I'm waking up with no recollection of the, the night before. Now, it's it's very different.
0: So if you want to celebrate something now, and maybe you feel really great about what you've accomplished in a day or whatever it is, what do you do? What do you do to celebrate?
1: Some, okay. So, so pre COVID, uh, what I, what I used to do, I, I love, uh, the symphony. I love fine arts opera. That really is the thing I spent the most money on that and travel. Now though, um, i like i like good quality food and spending time with my my girlfriend man it really those things make 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 me happy so like if i have a really great day i'm just like all right you're not cooking we're going here or here because not a restaurant's open again what's nice yeah uh so, yeah. so there's there's a way to a way to celebrate but that that's how I, how i i like to treat myself i like to kind of um, self-fulfill uh it turn my life into a self-fulfilling prophecy. Is if, if, if I have a great day and then I go celebrate by having a great high quality meal, then I'm geared up and excited about the next day. Compare this to, to celebrating by, by by you know perhaps drinking a little too much and now, now now you've lost at least twice, maybe three or four times. One one you lost because that time's gone. You yeah. know, when I come back from my dinner, I can do some more work if I want to. Sure. Uh Two, that you've conditioned yourself ever so slightly to not really want to work that hard because now, now you're not greeted with something enjoyable. You're greeted with pain, and no one wants, no one chases pain, Uh with at least not without a, a real reward, and that is not a big enough reward. And those are the two big ways you lose. I Man, we haven't even factored in recovery time and stuff like that. Uh, but, but these, the way I celebrate now, I man, it's, it's always good. It's always enriching. I, I bond and build Tom with my, my girlfriend. I, I have a, a solid meal, good meal. Now we can eat outside, which is nice. When it's not nice outside, we'll figure something else out. But, but now, you know, um, I was, I was thinking about this, like, like two summers ago, I went down to Fort Worth, yeah. maybe it was the last summer <laughs> and, and I had some time to kill and and my brain was like completely different, like like old me looking for time to kill, whatever. Like looked for bars and stuff. I found, I think, what I, did, I found a museum and a, a jazz show and hung out, got some sushi and watched the little performance. It was like so, so. You start finding things that make you smarter and happier and stronger to celebrate, and you end up life is just constant upward spiral.
0: Oh, that's great. That's great. Hey. Were you ever bullied, or I know you talked a little bit about bullying already, but were you ever a bully? Do you have a story you can share with us? No,
1: no, no, I was... You were never the bully. Here's how, and, you know, maybe I I was and didn't realize it, but if it was, I was like, you know, I've... what. no, nah, I don't think I was. In fact, abuses of power and picking a little guy uh, bothered bother me so much. The the only time I ever got in trouble in the military, I remember we were in the commissary and, and I watched uh I watched an officer use his 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 rank to kinda get in front of some people and I that 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 bugged me to no end. and I had to like it took a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. Because I was sitting there thinking I'm like, Man, just just get in line like the rest of us. Like, uh but I knew that was a battle I would lose badly and it would probably cost me uh, more, but no, I, I can't, I, I really hate picking on the uh, anything that, that occurs to people who aren't strong enough to defend themselves or deal with. I think that comes from being a, a competitor, competitor, like strong competition. Right. But but, if you, but, but what good is it, you know, picking on somebody who can't do anything? Even people who, like, go out of the way, they kind of provoke you if you look at them and go, you know, it's like, it'd be like if a kid started calling your names. And you look at the kid and be like, you're six. You don't even know what you're, what you're even saying, let alone, like, how am I supposed to react to this? I just got to look at you and go, okay, that's cute, you know?
0: Yeah, 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 how you react is everything. Yeah. As we move on, Ed, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So just 30 second answers are perfect. Here's the first one. Who is one person who has influenced you in the area of mindfulness?
1: Uh, my coach, Tommy Ankello, uh, by far, uh, just watching the way he, he interacts and entered and, and educates, uh, the, the fighters and his family and people around him. It's a very, um, it's a person I look up to and I like to, to try and emulate in my in the way I, I teach and handle things.
0: So how has mindfulness affected your emotions?
1: Oh, uh, well, well, the, the good news is I don't like, I mean, I uh, things upset me, right? But, uh, but I recognize that and I try to do something about it. And I have a, a lot of strategies to keep myself from ever reaching a point to where uh, the anger is even remotely out of control in fact if i get too angry here's how good i am at, at controlling and doing it i my, my body's not used to the the chemical changes that that go on when you get angry yeah. like so it like i hurt for like a day like my head hurts and i'm, out, I'm on edge and i, I feel pain because i'm just not used to being angry and so I, because i i work so hard on. Um, on, on recognizing the problem or solving it or redirecting it. Uh, I think pure unadulterated anger is when it, when it reaches a point where it controls you, then it's a problem. The, 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 the goal is never to, to like, get rid of your emotions. It's to make sure that you don't make permanent decisions in these temporary states of mind and they're going to have repercussions. And I really try to avoid that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness.
1: When you pay attention to your breathing, the cool thing about breathing is like your body's gonna force you to do it. Like, you, like you can't choke yourself out, right? Yeah. Uh, or hold your breath into oblivion. So the now that you know that you can't can't get away from it, now you can just kinda use it to rhythmically keep put your mind on something. If there's nothing else to put your mind on, you always have your breath and your heartbeat, uh, which is not. Directly related, but correlated, and that's another kind of automatic system you can put your mind on. If you put your mind on these things, there's something great about like like a rhythm, and we have a research on this about like why classical music helps people learn because it is done to a certain uh, beats per minute, with you know the metronome, and you get the same advantage I think if you focus on the rhythm of your breath and your heartbeat. And then that's that's just the psychological advantage. We haven't even talked about the biochemical one. When you when you focus on your breathing, when you focus on your heart rate and then try to, you know, control it and match it uh, or match and control it, then you, you do have an effect. And that lowers cortisol, could stabilize your blood pressure, keeps your mood, uh, improves your mood in general. So uh, that that's really important to be able to focus on that rhythmic, automatic, built-in metronome.
0: Yeah, uh, that's really cool, that built-in metronome, that's for sure. Uh, I want to talk about books, and you've got some really great ones. And Mindful Tribe, you can go to Ed's website, edlatimore.com, E-D-L-A-T-I-M-O-R-E, and he has a terrific book there for free on his website called the four confidences that we talked a little bit about he's also got the book i mentioned not caring what other people think is a superpower and he's got sober letters to my drunken self but ed what book would you recommend to uh read that's sort of related to mindfulness
1: oh uh not caring what other people think is a superpower for sure Uh. That that book was a series of essays that I wrote around the different areas of my life that, that I got a that I got control over or that were important to get control over when I started making the, the change to lead a life that would make me respected versus liked. And I think there's there's a lot to learn in there for anyone.
0: Can you share an app that can help with mindfulness?
1: Oh oh. Uh, yeah, I actually can the forest app. It is great. So the, so so this is awesome. It, you you pull the app up, and you can't do anything with the app up. Uh, and if you do, you lose. And the whole idea is you grow a tree, and you keep growing trees, and you, you grow out a forest. And the, and the more you you watch your forest grow, it kind of goes. Oh, you're you're concentrating, and not being distracted by apps or push notifications or opening up other windows because they have a desktop version as well and it really helps you do a lot of work and really helps you focus
0: well that's really cool i haven't heard of that app so i'll put it in our show notes at mindfulnessmode.com and it's called the forest app yeah i'll check it out that's really, awesome. that's really cool. So, yeah, I've, I've been really excited and looking forward to talking to you today. And, you know, I just appreciate the fact that you like to do so many different things. You know, you like classical music, you like writing, you're physical. So, what kinds of physical activities are you into nowadays, and especially during COVID?
1: Uh, so, the, so the really cool thing is the gyms are open around here. Okay. So that that's, that's really nice. So I can do mostly everything, but before that happened, um, I love running. I've, I've always liked running. Uh, I, I don't, and I'm sure part of that is, is from boxing and the running you have to do to stay in shape, but, but in general, it's just a great activity. Good way to like listen to it. Now, now listen to a podcast, you know, um, or get some get some music in, or if you just want to run and you know have your th- have your thoughts to yourself, and and really dig into those. But but I love running. You can do you know, and and you can mix it up. You can you know run distance, and or rather run to cover a long distance and pace that out. And that's one type of training. Versus going and doing some sprints. That's a different kind of training. Or you can do, like, you know, I remember when I was training to fight, we used to do, um, we'd run around the track, and the goal was to cover, to do two laps around a track in under three minutes, which is very difficult. That's the speed of, a, that's how long a round is. Uh, wait one minute, then go hit it again. You'll get in great shape. You, you can, I mean it's really amazing what you can do with just a pair of sneakers and some open land yeah. like before you before but you go pay for a gym membership or anything like that pair of sneakers open land you can really get yourself into superb shape
0: ah oh, that's great well you know mindful tribe check out ed's blog because he's always putting out content and you can find it at edlattimore.com. ed thanks again for being on the show i really appreciate you being here any final words for mindful tribe
1: i like to leave people with this remember the most powerful belief you can have is they give it enough time you can learn anything you know don't let don't let uh, the difficulty of a task Put you off, just believe that if you just put your mind and break down, get little little steps, little modes of progress, eventually they'll all congeal and the knowledge will be chunked and you'll make tremendous progress. You'll be like floating at level one for like a year, you know, feel like nothing. All of a sudden you're on level 11 and you're like, what happened? Well, it's because it, it took a little while, but you, you were making little bits of progress.
0: That's great advice, Ed. Well, thanks again for being on the show, and uh, thanks for doing all that you do for the world and for helping people with all your written content.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: Yeah, take care. Bye now. Bye-bye. Hey, Mindful Tribe, thanks for listening today. And here's a quick congrats from Tommy Breedlove. Bruce Langford, my man. Hey, it's Tommy Breedlove here, the USA Today and Wall Street Journal bestselling
1: author of the book, Legendary. And I wanted to say congratulations from the bottom of my heart for over 580 episodes and five plus years of podcasting for your mindfulness mode podcast. It's been on my top list and one of my favorite for the last few years. Congratulations. I'm so thankful to know you, and this world is literally a better place because of you.
0: Take care, my brother, and congrats again. Hey, Mindful Tribe, take what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.